Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and in this episode, we are talking to Dave and Welsey, the makeup effects team behind Revenge of the Sith. We talk about everything, from their Rick Baker inspirations to some of the most iconic images of any Star Wars film. We dive deep into Palpatine, Chewbacca, Tarkin, and more. So this is Talking Bay 94, Episode 8, Dave and Lou Elsie. Welcome to another episode of Talking Bay 94. Uh, I'm joined today by Dave and Lou Elsie, best known for, at least in the Star Wars universe, their work in the makeup department uh, for Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. So uh, in addition to that, they've done a ton of other incredible stuff, and and we're going to talk about as much as we can. So uh, without further ado, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's our pleasure. (laughs) Um, Well, great. Before we get into Revenge of the Sith, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your individual starts in kind of the world of, of film and, and what what prompted you and what inspired you to get into it. Okay, do you want to go first? You go first, go on. Well, it's kind of similar in a way. but it, we are, Yeah, we have very similar sort of stories in a way. I mean, the, the, the movie that I actually got into the film industry on was uh, uh, a, a film uh, by Frank Oz, uh, who you may know, who is also famous in the Star Wars universe. But he did a film called Little Shop of Horrors in about 1985. And uh, so that was my very, very first film. And, uh, and it was a, an amazingly brilliant way to uh, to sort of get into the industry. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I my thing is that I always wanted to do makeup for films. And uh, it was very difficult to get in doing makeup. And uh, But I dabbled a little bit with animatronics as well. Animatronics was a sort of emerging art in those days. And um, so uh, I got in really doing animatronics. That's what I got in doing. It wasn't something that I did very, I didn't know a lot about it. I, I just, I dabbled in it really. And uh, Little Shop Horrors was this sort of like, a, a, this sort of amazing college course in how to do animatronics and lip syncing uh, things and, um, uh, you know, uh, every type of mechanism I could think of, we tried. We tried so many different things on that. So for me, it was a great kind of learning process. And uh, so that was my way in. But I mean, going back further than that, um, I grew up in, uh, in the, you know, the 60s and 70s, uh, late 60s and uh, through the 70s. And, uh, and I was just always interested in sort of uh, science fiction and horror and uh, things like that. And we are very lucky in the in the 70s in particular because there was a lot of great television um, and, and and things that could kind of encourage that. You know, I mean, obviously we had Doctor Who, but we also had uh, these great uh, ghost stories, which I guess we'll talk about later on, called uh, A Ghost Story for Christmas that really impressed me. And I, uh, I when growing up, I, I didn't really know that uh, that makeup existed i knew that uh, i like movies with creatures and things in it wasn't until um, my granddad uh, bought in a uh, a newspaper yeah, there was a center spread in a newspaper that he bought in uh, he said i know you like monsters so you'll probably like this and it was a thing uh, it was written and it was all about the people that make monsters. It was all about Jack Pierce and uh, Roy Ashton and uh, and people like that. And um, 
and I think it, I think it may have mentioned uh, John Chambers, uh, uh, because I think Planet of the Apes was very big at that time. And mm-hmm. uh, and that was the first time I remember looking at that and thinking, wow, that, that you can actually, this is something that people do. They they make these things, and so that started a bit of an obsession with me and then it was all about trying to find out how else you could do it you know and uh there weren't a lot of books around and things and uh so it became a sort of um uh, something that i was so interested in it kind of drew me in because you had to kind of back engineer how these things were done they were very it was a lot more secretive in those days and i would go and uh you know any little picture that i would find of a of uh you know a workshop or something i would go and look at on the shelves behind the people that were creating these things with a magnifying glass and try to identify things that might be useful to me <laughs> and uh and then uh, that was it no it's, basically that was enough to kind of get me interested and uh i just kept going with it and then of course star wars uh came out which uh, later on became very important and uh, it was very important of course to me as a kid as well you know the the cantina sequence was uh, really influential and really exciting and I uh, think that's right super influential for most uh, makeup people really you know i mean i think that kind of changed everything for most of our generation yeah uh, and before that too you know um yeah, yeah that was that was a, a, a huge thing i mean you know when first seeing that just changed everything in fact the whole movie really well, i don't think i'd ever seen that a concentration of that many creatures yeah. in one place before and it sort of blew my mind and i was in love with star wars anyway and uh so it all of those things just basically all kind of mashed together and uh and uh, I, I decided pretty early on that uh, I was going to try and get into this business so that we could I could be around this kind of stuff. And uh, so that was it. I mean, from the age of, I'd say, about 10 onwards, uh, I never thought of doing anything else. And to be honest, I never have done anything else. <laughs> this has been my job uh, since then, really. And uh, it was just a matter of time waiting to be old enough to be able to get into the industry to be able to do it. And uh, so that was sort of my that's sort of my journey in a nutshell. What about yours? Well, I mean, I was always um, obsessed with the old Hammer horror movies growing up. So Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing and all of those old movies. Oh yeah, of course. I yeah. think that's also where yeah. the the love for our film Gaslight comes. Come, you can you can see all of those influences in that film. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it was just watching those things on a Friday night when you were, a, you know, when I was a, a kid sort of under the covers, just sort of trying to trying to hide when the monster come out, but just not being able to look away. That that was kind of the start of it for me, really. And um, and then, yeah, all the other things like Star Wars and even things like, um, you know, Labyrinth and Thriller was kind of a, really a massive thing for me when I saw that because that was um, – that was the first time you really saw the behind the scenes of how everything went together. And that became like the moment, I mean, when I saw Thriller, I, it blew me away. And then when I saw the making of Thriller, that was it for me. It was like, oh, my God, you know, because it was just the first time you'd ever seen a fully comprehensive how-to. This is this is what, you know, this is what we did to make this really really cool thing and uh and uh, you know and rick baker was just an inspiration in that in that way um after that really i um pretty much i went to art college and actually studied fine art but um ended up doing a work experience in a makeup effects company which was amazing and pretty much from the age of 16 i've been working doing that and um one of my first jobs was working for um 
the Henson organization. So that was, I got into a lot of um, fabrication and puppetry and hair work and fabrication. And, and it sort of, it all just sort of uh, snowballed from there, really. So, so you mentioned, well, two things. One, Rick Baker, and I'm sure he's been influential to pretty much anyone that has worked in the, the makeup industry. And then you guys have worked pretty, pretty closely with him, winning an Academy Award with him. I mean, like, so what was that kind of like, not only meeting your heroes, but then able to, to work with them and, and be their peers, really? Well, they say they do say that you should never meet your heroes, but I actually take issue with that <laughs> because on you know on the balance, uh, all the heroes that we've ever met, who we've worked with, tended to be uh, you know every bit as wonderful mm. as we ever thought they would be, and that certainly goes for Rick. You know, I told you that I kind of got into this. You know, I decided that I was going to do this at uh, at ten. Well, by f- by the time I was fifteen, I found out that uh, Rick was in London and that he was doing uh, a film called Greystoke, and um, he uh, and I was like, oh my god, you know, I, like there was no chance of me ever going to America and uh, and meeting him. But he, now he was on my turf, so I thought, wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna write to him. I'm gonna you know hopefully get a letter back from him. So I did. I wrote to him, and uh, to my surprise he wrote back almost immediately and said, come and visit. Wow. So, um, I went down to, uh, Elstree studios and, uh, and I, I met with, uh, met with, uh, Rick and I was, you know, just a kid, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I had to kind of take a day off school, uh, which I wasn't supposed to do. <laughs> he, Rick was really fantastic. And he, he was very, uh, instrumental in me, uh, getting into the business really, because he, the very first thing he did, and I, I found out later on that this is what Dick Smith had done for him mm-hmm. is as soon as I got there, he handed me a, a notepad and, uh, and, a, and a pen. And he said, okay, you're, you're going to find out a lot of stuff today. And he said, oh, you better write it down because otherwise you'll forget. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so he took me through the workshop piece by piece and mm-hmm. showed me how everything was done. And, uh, you know, showed me how to punch hair. He, you know, wow. showed me where home lab was and showed me where the people were knotting all the hair for the, the the gorilla suits and stuff and it was i mean from for, for me it was mind-blowing because um, yeah. i'd never seen work on that scale before and uh you know when i when i left he he gave me a bunch of Greystoke masks and shoved them all in a bag for me and said okay go away and uh, and like uh, just keep sculpting until you can duplicate these things and then wow. you'll be good enough to get into the film industry i was like right that's it. That's, <laughs> I've heard a plan of how this is going to work. And so I did. I, I went went away and uh, I've told Rick this story. And uh, he says, did I? <laughs> yeah. Generous of yeah. him, though, to kind of when you think he's like in the middle of a film doing all this stuff right. and then kind of like, well, just, it was know, amazing how much time really he lovely. took. Yeah. And I actually, we were, I remember we went to lunch at the, there was the restaurant at Elstree Studios just before they demolished half of Elstree. Mm-hmm. There was a great restaurant there and we went in and on one table there was Sean Connery who was playing James Bond at the time. And then on an, <laughs> on, an on another table there was George Lucas and, and uh, Steven Spielberg sitting there having lunch. And then I'm sitting there with Rick Baker and I just went, this, this is exactly <laughs> as I knew it would always be. <laughs> and, uh, I thought, you know, this is, you know, the only thing I need now is like some chorus girls and, you know, <laughs> um, 
but it, it and uh, so we went and uh, had lunch, and I was just looking around my, me and thinking, well, this is the film industry. This is this is what it would be like to be in the film industry. Of course, never as good as that ever as <laughs> since then. Canteens are almost empty of uh, important people now, <laughs> but it was fantastic. And uh, so I did. I went. I went away and and just kept sculpting. And I, and I, I I always say to Rick now, I say, well, you were so impressed with me that only twenty seven years later <laughs> on, you hired me to do the Wolfman with you. You know, um, which was amazing, really. I mean, we'd been friends with Rick for a few years, and um, he known us from the work that we did on, you know, from our work from Farscape. Right. And, and and also Revenge of the Sith and we just became friends and we'd just hang out socially every time we would come to the States we'd meet up and um, mm. <clears throat> and we became good friends and then when he asked us to do Wolfman we were well, it was just so we were so shocked we were yeah. like because um, we never thought we'd work with him we were just like well he's our friend you know right. and, um, like straight away we were like yes absolutely and then like all of a sudden the sort of the reality of it kind of kicked in and then it was just like oh my god yeah we really <laughs> we really got a kind of we got to step up there's a lot to do <laughs> and i remember afterwards i like, having the conversation when before we just started filming i turned around to rick and i went you know really nervous rick and he was like don't be nervous why are you nervous and i was like well because like you're my friend and what what if it you know it doesn't work out when we're all working or we have a row or something you know i was really worried about it. And he's like no don't be silly you know but um and then it all turned out great and we right, all just placed there after that but i was i was petrified and it's like you know he's like why and i was like well you know you're rick baker he <laughs> just started laughing <laughs> don't be silly <laughs> but that's actually one of my favorite memories of working on a film was 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 that because mm. it as it was challenging but at the same time you know some of the some of the best times that we had was when kind of everybody had gone home and it was like 11 o'clock at night and the three of us were all sitting in the workshop creating stuff mm. and that was it was just sort of just sort of pure artistry and fun wow. and um you know that's what you that's what you want it's like being a kid again you know yeah. you just get to create with your your hero and your friend and it's like you know can't really think of anything better well so you mentioned both jim henson and farscape so uh, kind of take me through that the the Farscape kind of whole series I feel like is is incredible ground in itself right you mentioned Doctor Who you have Star Trek you have things like that but Farscape as its own entity stands kind of among that as you know the creatures and the effects and and creating a whole different world that's you know very reminiscent of sci-fi worlds but is in itself very unique and so maybe talk about that a little bit because you were very instrumental in kind of creating that world yeah i mean mm. i i can remember when i first heard about it it was called space chase mm. and it wasn't called farscape at all and uh and i i actually wasn't going to have anything to do with it. i you know i didn't actually work at henson's before that lou had I worked was at there. henson's yeah I hadn't, and uh, what happened was, um, I for some reason I probably came up and saw you or something, mm. and uh, but anyway, I ended up in the car park uh, just outside Henson's in Camden, and uh, and as I was w walking through the car park, I was leaving. I bumped into uh, John Stevenson, who was the the head of the the, the Henson's the Henson Creature Workshop at that time, and so we were talking, and I said, "Oh, what are you up to?" And he said, "Oh, we've got a whole bunch of projects. We've got uh, a thing about a talking pig, and a, you know, about another one about a talking horse, and we're <laughs> we're thinking of doing something about a talking bear." And he said, "And then there's this other thing called Space Chase," and he said, "But he said, I don't know. I think that's that's sort of less interesting in a, in a way." And I thought to myself, 
at that moment, I thought, that's the one that I'm interested in. That's the one that I would want to do. And I didn't think anything more of it. Um, and uh, we, we kind of parted company and everything, and I went off my way. And uh, and then uh, it was only about a week or two later on that the phone rang. I had, used to have a workshop at Pinewood Studios, and it was John. And, uh, and he said, uh, that space chase thing, it's, it, we're doing it, but it's now called Farscape. Okay. And he said, uh, uh, he said, we, we need people to go out to Australia uh, to, uh, to, to basically, uh, you know, help shoot it uh, mm-hmm. and basically to look after these puppets that we've done because we've done this char- character called Rigel and Pilot and uh, these things right. called DRDs and, uh, and also, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Dogger. Dogger, yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, that would be great. And he said, he, he said I, I think you and Lou would be perfect, a perfect team and, to do it. And we'd never really, we'd only worked together very briefly during that time, really. We hadn't like, uh, you know, you had your own company and I was freelance. So yeah. it was, we weren't like a, a, a team. We were both kind of separate artists mm-hmm. in our own right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and it's so funny because John spoke to you about it. And then I got a phone call from Jamie from Henson's who, mm. and uh, who was asking me, and it was so weird because then we both called up each other. I think I was working on The Mummy at the time and you were working on something else. And I was like, I've just had this phone call from Henson's. And you were like, <laughs> yeah. it was really bizarre. So I, my, my big stipulation was I said, I, I said obviously would be interested in doing it because I'd already made up my mind that I was interested in doing it. Uh, I said, but the, the only thing is, do you think there's going to be anything apart from those characters to do? Is there going to be anything else? And he said, oh, I don't know, you know, we don't really have any script yet, but there'll probably be the occasional alien. And I said, well, you know, if there is going to be the occasional alien and we can build that, then that sounds like fun and we'd like to do it. And uh, we agreed and everything. And then we uh, we uh, found ourselves on an airplane flying over there. And then we were <laughs> on the plane. Me and Lou were talking about it. And, uh, and I said, you know, when we get there, when we have our first meeting, I'm going to try and talk to them and see if I can talk them into doing, you know, like an alien of the week, an or alien something. of the week, right. or something yeah. like that to kind of make, you know, make, make it, make it a bit more make juicy, it a bit more juicy yeah. for us and stuff. We got there and we went to our first <laughs> meeting, and the uh, uh, one of the producers came up to me and uh, and said, uh, "Okay, we we only have one script at the moment." Uh, he said, uh, "Have a look, have a quick look at it." So I, I had a quick look at it, and the, almost the first page said. They land on uh, an alien planet. And I said, what's on the alien planet? And he said, aliens. And I said, well, how many? And he said, I don't know, as many as you can make. <laughs> that I was like, oh. And we're only two weeks out from actually shooting the first right. episode. <laughs> and I thought, ah, we've got our wish. But, like, this is not kind of how I was hoping it would go. Right. And, of course, the pace of making aliens uh, never stopped mm. after that. I mean, it was, it was just a... Um, it was an avalanche of aliens that, that came at us. And, uh, and with uh, the very first year, I remember we, we just about managed to keep up and to try and make these things. It's very difficult because the scripts were being written more or less as we were filming. So mm-hmm. you very rarely had more than th- this week in you know, the, this episode's script. Um, so I quickly learned to go down and befriend all the writers and go and talk to them and say, what do you, th- just tell me what you think 
the design process. I could start thinking about it at least, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, that was it. And then the the next year we were much better at building these aliens very very quickly. Yeah. And the, by the fourth year, there was they we 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 could build anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, we really yeah. got into our stride. Usually, pretty much three quarters of the way through the season was when we were like really really in our stride. So by the time we got to episode twenty two, and they were like, "Okay, we're going to finish. We're going to break for three months." We were like, "No, no, we're like we're, <laughs> we're in a groove. We can do it." So it always took a few episodes to get back up into our stride every beginning of the season. But towards the end, yeah. And by season four, we were doing so much stuff i mean it, you know it was everything from um full mechanical heads and muscle suits and full-bodied aliens and prosthetics and we did the special costumes and right. uh, we made some props we even built a set at one point i mean it just got wow. crazy I mean, and i mean you know, the, our main thing as well was that uh, you know a lot of other shows at that time that had aliens in it for television um they would have uh, they'd land on a planet and you'd have the alien of the week and it would be a guy with you know a sort of bumpy forehead or something i mean right. you saw that a lot and uh um and we're like we, we can't really now that henson's have built these incredible mm. puppets for the the main characters you can't you can never go back from that. You know, we have to at least do do something that, that kind of fits that and, and fits into that style. But we soon learned why they did the foreheads <laughs> because of the time. Right. <laughs> we had 10 days to mm. create sometimes five, six, seven characters, Yeah. you well, know, before they, they, they shot the episode. We were almost kind of too successful in a way. And uh, we, we kind I just of... I think we were mad. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we were mad. Um, but we were almost too successful because we um, we would do these sort of uh, outrageous creatures. And we said, you know, like, let's let's really make them alien, you know, let's have things with, you know, two heads and a bunch of arms and, you know, and uh, let's try to not have guys that, that are basically humanoid, you know. And uh, we, we kept thinking, what, let's see, let's use this as a kind of almost like a, like a college course on mm-hmm. uh, how to, you know, how what combinations of things you can put together to build aliens. So some things would be, a puppet and other things would be a makeup and then other things would be an animatronic head. And then we thought, what about if you get a makeup and put it on a puppet body mm-hmm. or if you get somebody's real eyes and you put an animatronic mouth on them or you, you do something, you know, you basically we, we just wanted to try everything we'd ever thought of on right. the show. And eventually uh, we did. Yeah. <laughs> we just kept on kind of trying to push the boundaries of, of, of it, you know, because, I mean, the starting point was the those characters that uh, the, the Hensons uh, had made before we were involved in it. Right. We just said, you know, with they have to be, they have to fit into. If these things are from that universe, our things have got to fit into yeah. that same universe, and they have to be outrageous. And and uh, we've got to just keep pushing ourselves all the time. And if you think that what we did was um, was insane for the kind of schedules that we had on television, you should see what they talked us out of. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I think by the end of it, we kind of were like, yeah, let's just try this. And we, we kind of got big with it. But, yeah, they had to talk us out of stuff. Yeah. No, it was an amazing creative time, definitely. Amazing creative time. Well, if there was anything that could prepare you in any sense to work on Star Wars, it seems like yeah. 
like this would be it. So I guess you were already in Australia for, for Farscape. How did kind of the jump from Farscape to Revenge of the Sith? Well, what it was actually, it happened slightly differently to that because uh, what happens was that we uh, we heard that Star Wars was coming over to Sydney, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a phone call from Rick McCullum when we were doing while we were doing Farscape, and uh, he said, "Can we come and see you? Because we've heard if you're going to build aliens, you're the people to come and see." You know, mm-hmm. we said, "Yeah." So they came down and saw us, but it was for, uh, the, uh, what was the uh, second movie? Fan- uh, not the Phantom Menace, the uh, Attack, Attack of the, the Clones. Clones. Yeah, Attack of the Clones. And uh, we said, oh, yeah, we'd like to, they talked to our, they talked to the people on Farscape, and they, Farscape just didn't think that we could fit in Attack of the Clones and right. Farscape at the same time. So we had to kind of turn it down. But then what happened was that it ended up being the last season of Farscape, and you would think that us being in Australia was was the perfect positioning for us to be in to take over and do Star Wars. But in fact, because Farscape had now finished, Lou and I moved back to London, oh. and uh, we moved away from Australia. And we'd we'd literally been back a little while, and uh, we I remember we were surrounded by crates because all of our stuff had come back. And we were just unpacking things, and the phone rang, and it was Rick Cullum again. <laughs> And he said, uh, "Hey, do you do you want to come and do uh, uh, the the latest Star Wars movie? Are you free now?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, but I'm now I'm in England." And he said, "We'll come back over." So we're like, "Oh!" So we jumped on an airplane and went back to Australia uh, and uh, and we talked to Rick and everything. Rick, uh, he said, "You know." We, we we don't we're not really not you know we, there's a lot of CG in in the film now and and we don't we're not really doing a lot of practical creatures and uh, so we the department's going to be pretty small you know and uh, so we looked through the list of characters that they wanted us to build and I just started ticking off things that were you know quite obviously practical to me and there were things like uh, the emperor. You know, I you go well. I know that the emperor is going to end up looking like he like he does, right? But in these in the prequels, he just looks like a guy. So this must be the movie where he changes, right? So I figured that out. Tick. That's what. That's probably us because it was a makeup before. And then there were other things that said like the Wookies. <laughs> you go well. That's an army of Wookies. Yeah. You know. So before I knew it, we had I think about uh, about six pages of aliens that I'd written down that I thought that we were probably responsible for. Uh-huh. But took it to uh, Rick McCallum, who looked at it and went, "Oh yeah, there's, there's <laughs> a lot of aliens in this." Right. We we that was it. So we set up a workshop at uh, Fox Studios. Mm-hmm. We began work. We we were sort of really excited about it because. Uh, you know, we, we all grew up watching mm. Star Wars, you know, and, and uh, you know, all the things that I'd ever wanted to find out about when I was a kid watching it, I knew were going to happen in this movie. This right. is this was the movie yeah. right. where that was going to happen. This is where the this is where Palpatine, you know, is gonna he will become the emperor. Mm-hmm. This is where uh, you know uh, there's going to be the, the duel, yeah, between between you know. Anakin Skywalker and uh, and um, Kenobi, you know, and he's going to become Vader. I knew all this stuff was going to happen. We're like, uh, we couldn't wait for the script to arrive in our hands so we could read about it, you know. The, the, it was really super exciting. And then the other nice thing that happened on it, this is, it was, a, I mean, I have to say, I'll say this up front, 
it was one of the, the greatest pleasures in the world working on Star Wars. I re- yeah. enjoyed every moment of it. And we enjoyed working with George and we enjoyed working with Rick, Rick McCollum, McCollum and the whole wonderful. the whole team. It was really a fantastic yeah. time. You know, we, we were really excited about it. And um, But one of the other nice things that happened was that they, they didn't have a place for the droid department to go. They were looking around and it wasn't like there's not a lot of space left over at, at the studio. We said, oh, well, we've got plenty of room in our workshop. They can come and have like a whole section of our workshop. So all of a sudden we had, uh, you know, R2-D2 and C-3PO, right. all the other droids that were being made. And um, and we had uh, we met with Don Bees, who of course. we didn't know previous to that, but mm, we yeah. became very fast friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, and it was just the, it was just the, that was the sort of capper to the experience because not only were we building all these aliens on this momentous film where everything basically turns around, mm-hmm. um, but we also had the pleasure of having C three PO and R two D two trundling through the workshop. Yeah. That's one you of know. my big my my big memories of the first first few weeks of working on it we had the um the original Chewbacca suit was sent to our workshop mm-hmm. so that we could you know take a look at it and um Lucasfilm Archives had asked me to um basically he was kind of falling apart a bit so I had to restore him right. and I'm sitting on my desk they're like quite scared restoring the original Chewbacca well, head of course. <laughs> you know, just sitting there kind of painting and just sort of looking up and then like R2 just going, <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's, it's like oh yeah I'm working on Star Wars cool <laughs> you know Boys. it's just like a weird dream yeah, yeah. like a, a dream yeah, yeah. Chewy on my desk, R2 going by. I was like, okay, this is a good day, you know. Yeah, no, that was that was pretty amazing. <laughs> it was like that yeah. most days, to be honest with you. It was very interesting yeah. as well to be able to look inside Chewie's head, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. uh, see Stuart Freeborn's uh, incredible amazing work, work yeah. uh, incredible pioneering work, really, that was y- just light years ahead of its time. I mean, when you think about when it was made, uh, there really wasn't anything else that was quite like mm-hmm. that. Um, and a real step up, you know, from the, the stuff that he did on 2001. And, and Chewie's, inside Chewie's head is uh, is uh, an amazing, uh, uh, the work on it is, it's kind of really interesting, very simultaneously r- r- quite low tech, but also very high tech as well at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it just works, mm. it just functions. There's nothing to go wrong on it, you know. Right. And, uh, and it has so much personality, which all comes from Stuart's incredible sculpting. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, Yoda is uh, quite rightly, um, you know, a, a, a great character. And you've seen in other movies, they've, had, they've found it very hard to duplicate it because mm. Stuart's sculpture is just so fine and so clever and, mm. and so layered and, and just has so much life, you mm. know. It looks a little like him too. It does. You know, <laughs> it doesn't, it, it, again, it like uh, in terms of the mechanics of it, it's it's very uh, simple in a way uh, and low tech compared to what you would do now. But it has life mm. and that the, the sculpture at rest looks alive, yeah, you know. Yeah, totally. And that's kind of the key to all this stuff is like if, if at rest it's, it looks kind of alive, then anything else you do to it will will, will make it even more so. Chewie's right. exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and considering how much hair and everything Chewie has on his face, which dulls down, you know, the form of, of a lot of the sculpture, he's still, it's still there. He's, his character is still there. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's very clever. I think some of that even has to do with, so you were able to work with Peter Mayhew. Peter Mayhew came back and, yeah. and, and played Chewbacca again. And yeah. so maybe... Boy. 
How did how did that kind of experience? What was his kind of experience coming back into the mask, and how did you play off of you know his eyes? I think are an important part of the whole thing, and you know his his gain is also a a major aspect of the character. Yeah, I mean that's right. I mean, first of all, having him come back was we we couldn't have been more excited, yeah, you know. And I, when I when he turned up, uh, he's so gracious uh, and lovely to be around and he he knew we were all kind of fans so he took us all out to lunch mm. took the whole crew out mm. and we all went there all like listening to his stories yeah, and stuff and he tells uh, good stories he, he was uh, just a fascinating <laughs> yeah. to to hear all that and to f- hear what he, it feels like for him inside the mm. suit and things right. that concerned him you know and he was really excited about it too because it had been what like 20 years or something since he put the suit on yeah yeah. So, you know, it was a kind of a big moment for him, the moment mm-hmm. we kind of, like, that first fitting we had with him, which was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he, he, a big part of it is is him as well. I mean, I, we talked about Stuart's sculptures and uh, uh, there's the genius of Stuart Freeborn, but also the, it, a lot of it comes down to, to uh, Peter Mayhew as well because he the, his portion is so unique and has really large beautiful eyes blue eyes eyes. um and uh we you know a lot of people that we put in the suits uh were had the right stature Mm. right it's the his proportions are different Mm. the reason that you uh you connect with chewie so much is because of what chewie's what uh, peter mayhew is doing with his eyes you know Mm. and what he does with his body and his face and oh he brings the magic he does he does definitely Um, and, uh, you know, so we, we worked with him and we kind of, uh, we built the suit specifically for him. We we made a few uh, uh, small improvements for him. He's, he's never been very comfortable in the shoes, you know, that the shoes are always a little uncomfortable for him. And So we had uh, all of his shoes handmade perfectly wow. for his feet. And he was really happy about that because they were... <laughs> be comfortable by the end of it he, he yeah because the shoes he had before were very hard and like fiberglass shells nice. almost and uh he yeah he really really loved the shoes but i mean we didn't change it that much did we we tried to go you know very traditional and and, and the same thing with the hair on his on on chewy's face all of the hair was hand laid in the same way mm-hmm. that um that uh, Stuart freeborn did it you know back in the we, day we so. didn't want to compete with what Stuart freeborn Nuh-uh. had done at all we we felt like it because you know like as fans of the film we realized that sooner or later someone's going to watch them back to back to back and watch all of them together so we thought it would be crazy to try to uh to try to compete with it and try to or try to better it i should say Mm -hmm. um because it's pretty good you know and uh so we tried to do it in we tried to build everything in much the same way Mm. that Stuart would have done you know you, you, we could have, you know, updated Chewie's face to be silicone, and we could have punched all the hair, and we could have done all, all manner of things. But we went, well, you know, Stuart Freeborn didn't do that, so why, why should we? So yeah. we did, we laid the hair on. The face was foam latex, and uh, you know, nice and light for him. Yeah. Chewie's head is incredibly light, and very basic compared to um, even what we what I saw on Greystoke years before mm-hmm. uh, Chewie. Um, uh, you know, the, he, he's uh, he's very simple, very basic in there, and uh, and very comfortable. It's a very comfortable suit for mm. for Peter to wear and walk around in. You know, and 
so we we tried to to do all that we we you know with most things we were the, our big the only thing that we were a little bit worried about was that this was the first time uh we were looking at the the star wars these particular star wars creatures being seen uh digitally they were going to be filmed digitally rather than on film mm. And we weren't sure what the implications of that would be at the time. It seems silly to say this now right. because everything's digital. Mm. But at the time, we, we, you know, we were told, you know, it's crystal clear. You know, you can see every right. single thing. And so we, we did become a little paranoid about that. And we, we were very worried that, uh, that uh, you know, things that you would have got away with before, you wouldn't get away with this time. And... Uh, so we did try and update things, make sure everything was as perfect as it could be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that happened with the emperor too, you know, because the emperor. You have to remember that he, this is twenty odd years since he had played the emperor before, right. and uh, when he played the emperor in the first movie, it, you don't see a lot of him. You know, he has a hood on and he's shadowed and is basically an old age, old age stipple makeup and some pale kind of grease paint over his face and a, and a forehead piece. You know, none of it. If you took the hood off, there none of it blends in or anything. Right. We and we were like, well, they they told us they said, well, no, he's he's not going to wear that hood all the way through. We're going to see him without that. We're going to see him in lots of different lighting conditions, not just in the shadows. And so uh, we very we thought, well, it's it, we're going to have to up, update that to some degree, and we're going to have to kind of make sure that that is a lot more. Um, polished than they had in the first film. Not to say that the first film wasn't any wasn't wasn't polished. It's just that it was never meant to be seen right. in that in those conditions, you know. And uh, so we did up we did update the emperor a little bit, and also we had to simply because he just doesn't look like he yeah. did when he made the first. Right. Uh, I don't. I didn't look like I did when I saw the first. <laughs> right. I was in short trousers. <laughs> We did. We did update a, just a few things here and there, but mostly we tried to stick to. We tried to pay homage to, to what had gone before. Yeah. And you know, we the one thing we knew absolutely when we start, and we've said this twice on two different movies now, and twice we've been wrong, is that we said, well, you know, makeup is never gonna. This is we're just gonna have a good time. We're gonna do this, and we're not gonna worry about it because the one thing we know about Star Wars is that the makeup department never gets nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> And of course, it did. <laughs> so we were completely we were wrong about that. Right. Uh, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was magical. I, that was a magical thing. Yeah, it was. It was. It, yeah. was a, it was a great experience. The whole thing that everybody on it was just wonderful. Mm. I know it sounds kind of hokey when you say, "Oh, it was such a great experience," but actually. It really, really was. I wish really I could was. give you some really juicy stories from it, but there aren't any. No, because, it was just too good. Yeah. We all just had too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's a good thing to be wrong about, right? Not winning Academy Award or not getting nominated. It's, it's a nice yeah. thing to be it's a nice thing to be wrong <laughs> yeah. about. Um, what I'd love to do just for a second is is run through some of my favorite um, makeup effects from Revenge of the Sith, and we can just kind of run through them really quickly, and, and maybe you guys yep. have stories or... So one of the, you mentioned a couple of the legacy characters already. You mentioned Palpatine. You mentioned Chewbacca. Very briefly in the movie, but one of my favorite moments is uh, Wayne Pigram, Wayne Pigram as uh, Governor Tarkin at the very end. And I know you probably worked with him on Farscape a little bit. How did that process go, bringing Tarkin back to life? Yeah, I did Wayne's makeup for uh, four years, mm -hmm. uh, every single day. On, uh, <laughs> on, and well, we, we you know he went on Farscape. 
his character was kind of modeled on uh, Peter Cushing a little bit. You know, we wanted that kind of Grim Reaper-like, you know, bony face. And, and Wayne was that person. I mean, he, he was very, very thin on that. And I, I always said to Wayne, I said, you know, if ever anybody does like a Peter Cushing movie, you should play Peter Cushing. And we joked about this right. on Farscape. Uh, we got the this, this script and we're looking, for, actually, we're looking through the costume designs. And I turned a page. And there was Tarkin. And I said, is Tarkin going to be in this movie? You know, with, I'm a huge Peter Cushing fan. Right, of course. Uh, yes. uh, you know, he's, uh, and uh, I have a whole collection of Peter Cushing stuff, which I'll tell you about another time. Um, but uh, I, they, they said, yeah, he's, he's in it. Tarkin's in it. I said, how are you going to do that? And they said, well, I think we're probably going to, like, uh, get a, a picture of him from, like, uh, another movie from, like, Frankenstein or something. And we're going to just comp him in. Mm. And I said... Would you let us do a, a, like a, a makeup test to just see if it would work on somebody else? And they said, uh, sure. They said, if you can do it two weeks, then you can do it. I'm like two weeks, okay, that's going to be a stretch, but like he's, we'll, we'll do it. And they said, uh, okay, who do you want cast in this? And I said, well, we're in Sydney, Australia. Why don't you get my friend Wayne? He looks just like Peter Cushing and he's thin and everything. So they said, great. So they, they made loads of phone calls. They said, he's not here anymore. He's in he's living in Los Angeles. <laughs> so like, oh, no. So they said, okay, we'll, we'll fly him back. So now I'm thinking, oh, boy, the stakes have gone up here. <laughs> and, uh, so they fly Wayne over. And when Wayne arrives, he's not the skinny guy that I've always got used to uh -huh. making up. He's been living in L.A. He looks healthy. He's, he's been put working on, he's out. Been working out every day. <laughs> he's you know and I'm, i when i saw him i said what have you done you know and uh so i said look just, just stop eating you know just stop whatever it is you're doing just stop doing it and uh we did a, a very quick makeup very rough and ready makeup test and you know wig that we found and we just adapted and stuff and stuck it on him this is why you, on the internet you see lots of different versions of talking it's because right. there were different versions yeah. Uh, so we did it very rough and ready and we took some pictures and we showed it to George and we showed it to, uh, all the producers and stuff and, uh, they went, yeah, okay, that'll work, you know? So, uh, then we thought, well, this is great. Now we just, uh, need to sort of do a better version of it. And Wayne said, uh, I don't think I'm going to do it. And we we're like, what? <laughs> and he said, well, I, you know, I don't really have any lines, and I, I don't know if I'm going, don't know if I want to, if I'm going to do it. You know, I said, you have to. I like, I made him fly you over here, and you know, I told him that you were the one person who should play this role. <laughs> so we we flew into a bit of a tizzy uh, for a little while. Sorry if this isn't quick enough. Oh uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Start makeups on other people. We there was a we there was a guy in our workshop uh, who we stuck a makeup on. He had kind of a narrow face, and we put him in it. And he just couldn't be Peter Cushing. He couldn't. He you know he kept smiling, and I kept going. Tarkin doesn't <laughs> smile, you know. And I, I and I thought, well, accountant guy, he's going to have like no personality. <laughs> so we'll put a makeup on him, and we'll see what he looks like. And uh, and again, he just looked like. He'd never acted before. He looked yeah. very good in the makeup. Actually. He did, but he looked terrified but he because looked he wasn't an actor. He, yeah. He, yeah, he looked uncomfortable, and you know, it just goes to show how important it is to have a really good actor. So you I, know? I went back, went back to Wayne, and I said, uh, "Like, please, just reconsider this. This is going to be." 
a great moment on film, you know. And uh, and I, I had him over, and we watched the uh, Peter Cushing movies, and we got to he started to learn the voice and learn the walk Sounds and right. learn all the little actions and stuff. And uh, and and we really like we had him over like lots of different nights, and we we basically did this crash course in being Peter Cushing. Uh-huh. And uh, and he said, okay, I'll do it. And we did the last makeup that we did on him, and. Uh, he shot it. He shot it in one day, and uh, he's only in the background, and that's right. all it was ever supposed to be. Um, and uh, and that was it. And it was a that was a it was a fun thing to do, you of know. Of course. And yeah. it was the first time you see uh, Tarkin's boots on camera, so it was great. That's right. Yeah, I told him <laughs> you should be wearing slippers, really. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the the biggest thing, and you kind of mentioned it, was the Revenge of the Sith is the transformation of Anakin to Darth Vader, and and you both more than anyone really had the hand of we've heard about the lava we've heard about you know him getting burned or scarred since pretty much uh the beginning of the star wars mythos so what was it like kind of having a hand in creating what anakin looks like and what was that process like whether working with hayden or working with george or because i'm sure he's been thinking about it for you know 30 years 20 years so uh, what yeah. was that? What was that like working on the the burned Anakin Skywalker? It was very um, it was very daunting uh, because it was such a big moment and it meant so much to me personally that you know um, and I, you know because I I remember you know in, in the original uh, trilogy at the end where Vader's helmet finally comes off right and uh, we you know we see what he looks like for the first time really. Um, I was sort of shocked. It was not what was in my imagination as a kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, for some reason, you know, in my imagination, he was, a, you know, little more than a skull in there, you know. Mm-hmm. And because I'd heard, that, you know, all this stuff about him, you know, falling into lava and getting burned and everything. Right. So uh, obviously we wanted to get all the scars and everything in the right place, but it, it didn't, that makeup, at, at, you know, at the end didn't, didn't, didn't match what I figured had happened to him. It didn't, didn't sort of make any sense. It wasn't really a burn or anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, w- funny enough, just before we did star Wars, we had just done uh, a TV show, like a forensic TV show. And, uh, we had done a burn victim in that. In fact, we'd done several burn victims in that. And, uh, and I'd been talking to a forensic expert, uh, about what happens when people get, you know, uh, burnt, get burned, you know. And there were several things that when I looked at the scars that Anakin had, and I don't think this was, on, I don't think this was on purpose in the first movies. I think it just turned out this way. There were several things that made kind of sense. And uh, you, a lot of things, uh, like for instance, you can get quite burned, you can be in fire, but parts of you will be completely unaffected. And, uh, and it, it seemed to me that uh, that's probably the w- why uh, Anakin his his face is less burned, you know, mm-hmm. he because of the way Vader's helmet fits. Most of the lower half of his face below his jawline, you don't really see that. Right. So I think well, we can go quite heavy with this burn, you know, up and up until his neck, and then we'll obviously he's lost his hair and stuff, and he's still burned, but it's not so affected on his face. We took it quite seriously. I went and talked to George. I said, what are we going to do? You know, a kid's film, really. And uh, this is, I don't know how we're going to make this. He said, well, just go away and do like a, make 
burn, <laughs> you know. And uh, okay, and when that thought about it for a little while, and then I went back the same afternoon. I said, "What's that? How am I supposed <laughs> to? What does that mean?" And he said, "He said, what are you worried about?" And I said, "Well, I'm worried that it's going to be quite horrific. It's going to be quite scary." Mm-hmm. And uh, and he said, yeah. uh, "Well, you know, in the very f- in the first movie, we cut someone's arm off, right? And you see blood and you see all that sort of stuff." And he said, uh, "He said, you know, if we have to change the uh, if we have to change the uh, the rating on the film, we'll change the rating on the film." <laughs> and I th- I went, "Really?" <laughs> he said, "Yep." And that was it. I mean, the thing about George is, and that's what I loved about him, is that he will make decisions and he totally stands by oh, them. Oh, God, he, yeah. He, he'll, yeah. And he'll make them on the spot. You know, sometimes very difficult on big-budget movies to um, direct to sign off on things. Mm. They can't really, even though they might sign off on it, there's about, you know, 50 different producers who also have to sign on it, and they all think they know what's right, you know. Right. With George, you go to George and you say, what do you want, George? He tells you that's what you that's build. That's it. He's the last word. That's it. That's what makes it so much fun because it's it doesn't become this massive sort of committee. Yeah. It's just you, you and him talking about your ideas and and having a, a, an exchange. And then yeah. it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. You know? So we did. We went away and we uh, we talked to, uh, obviously, we talked to Hayden about it. And Hayden knew it was coming, you know. Right. He was excited about it. He, he was really up for it. He's like, I'm, I'll do anything. He wanted to wear he, it. Yeah. 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 In the same way that he couldn't wait to wear the, the Vader. The, the mm-hmm. Vader suit. I mean, he's just like, you yeah. know, this, I've been waiting two movies for this, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we we did we we kind of I tried to sort of put everything where it was supposed to be, put all the scars where they're supposed to be that right. match the other movies, but then we went like this is a fresh this is an open wound essentially, which is what Vader is at that point when he becomes Vader he's a walking open wound right. mentally and physically you know, and uh, we we went with it and uh, it's I'm proud of it I think yeah. it's really strong oh, yeah. Uh, and uh george went so close as well i mean it was just so so close there was no room (laughs) there's a lot of extra footage of it that you'll probably never see where uh, but in we we saw all of it watched the rushes you Mm. know the the same day uh and uh it was pretty emotional actually well the our coordinator who was sitting right next to us burst into tears Mm -hmm. because it just went on and on and on as all his agonies you know and uh, but I thought that this is what the movie would so leading up to this, yeah, you know. Right. So that's we, what we did, and um, yeah, I, I'm really I'm really pleased of old crispy Anakin, you know. <laughs> yeah, he should be. And I, I think you, I mean, it, it was PG-13, I think, for like sci-fi action violence and quote some intense images. So I'm sure that is the <laughs> intense image, right? So that's it. Yeah. That was the first Star Wars PG-13 movie. So, And as a kid that was scared shitless of that, that, that is, uh, you did a good job. Uh, so the final one I want to talk about, at least for Revenge of the Sith, one that's near and dear to my heart is uh, during the filming of the movie, uh, StarWars.com did something called like the hyperspace like camera, webcam. They had a webcam set up on set. And one thing yeah. they did, and it was like they would refresh every 20 seconds and try not to spoil anything, but... I remember one day they just put a camera in front of an Obi-Wan Kenobi mannequin just for like <laughs> for like six hours. And like I was and I'm sure a lot of Star Wars fans out there just kinda like sat in front of the computer, like, well, we're gonna watch this. This is this is what we're gonna watch today. And so I heard you guys had a, a hand in, in making that and I'd love to talk about the Obi-Wan mannequin. Sure. 
<laughs> well, that was that was fun. You know, yeah. um, we uh, I remember um, uh, Ewan uh, came over, and we you know he had so much to do. Ewan McGregor, he yeah. had to learn all the choreography for all the fights, and uh, that was huge. I mean, that was that was a lot of what he every day he was trying to learn that mm. stuff. So we only we didn't have him for very long. We had him just enough time to uh, to take a head cast, in fact. Mm. And uh, he came into the workshop uh, on that day. And I had said to production, I said, uh, they said, is there anything we should know, any specifications? And I said, uh, well, you know, just be great if, if he didn't have like a, a beard at this point, you know, because we have a few, we have a little while before we start filming. Uh -huh. <laughs> He's got time to grow it. And so he walks in and he's got a beard. He looks like ZZ Top, you know, when he walks uh -huh. in. <laughs> and uh, it was like, oh. So we had to kind of, the, the main thing was to kind of get all that. We kind of tied it into a little ponytail, I think. And, and then we kind of had to massage all of the alginate into his face. And uh, so he, he got through the life cast, no problem. And then we, uh, we got a, a clay bust out of him that we kind of, you know, we, we, we fixed up. And mm -hmm. uh uh, and uh, just just perfected because there was still some remnants of where his beard was, you know. And that, it was all that good stuff for me because I became obsessed with his beard. Yeah, because he has like because I did all the all all the hair on the head and right. His really really interesting um, hair direction on his beard. So that became like we had it was great reference, but then I kind of became obsessed. <laughs> you so I'd kind of, you know, be walking to lunch or walking on set or something, and I'd bump into you and I'd go hi, and we'd sort of like stop and I'd be like, "He's like, what are you doing?" I was like, "Sorry, I'm just staring at your beard again. I'm so sorry." <laughs> <laughs> it just became kind of a bit of an obsession while we were working on that body. Was was yeah, obsessed with Ewan's beard. Yeah. He just wanted to get it right. He, <laughs> he liked it. He actually really liked the creature shop. And, yeah, he whenever, used to come and he, hang whenever he whenever he wasn't doing his uh, fighting, he'd come and hang out, and uh, he wrote. Uh, I wish we'd have recorded it. He wrote a little creature shop song that, oh, that wow. he came played on his guitar yes. for everybody, uh -huh. and uh, what it was. you know, and um, the uh, but we needed a body because we only had a head, mm -hmm. um, and so uh, at that time, I noticed when I met him that we were about the same height and uh, and had very similar uh, body types and uh, would probably weighed about the same as well at that point. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, you know, I was the only one who really fitted fitted his build. So. Uh, for his body, they life cast my body mm -hmm. and uh, my hands, and uh, you know, basically did a, a body cast of me from head to toe, mm -hmm. and um, uh, and then we kind of got a, uh, a foam version of that out, uh, and uh, we kind of chopped it up and started to change the, the the change it so that it started to work almost like a puppet and uh yeah i mean we we kind of we really there was quite a lot of internal sort of engineering in that because you know uh hayden had to kind of pick him up and put him over his shoulder and everything right. so everything had to be it couldn't be too heavy because obviously hayden had to carry it but at the same time it had to be weighted so that the arms flopped around and they didn't kind of you know it just didn't look like a big stuffy you know stuffy body so mm. there was quite a lot of internal engineering in that to make it work yeah i remember you know? the, with all the fingers were jointed and they yeah. were weighted so that when you if you uh you know dropped it the hand would fall in a really natural way and the mm. fingers would flop out mm. in the, just the right way it's so funny i remember the first day we walked on set on walked on set with him i, I walked on set with our, our coordinator and i had one arm 
of 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 Obi Wan around my shoulder, and she had the other one around her shoulder, and we walked in with him. Just, just dragging, <laughs> just, the just feet, sort of dragging know. the feet, you yeah. know. And he was in full costume and everything, with his head down. And George stood up, walked straight up to us, and went, "Oh my God, you and are you okay?" <laughs> so. <laughs> Love you, George. <laughs> so it kind of totally freaked him out. Wow. So for, for that whole day that we were on set with it, it, we had a chair. It was right next to Ewan's chair, and the two of them were sort of sitting together for the whole day on set, which was quite amusing. Yeah. You can't even have a picture of Ewan kind of posing in the same way yeah. with the two of them sitting there on set. Yeah. It's funny. Oh, yeah. I, I can't believe that we actually had similar body types at that point. Of course, <laughs> he's, he's let himself go since then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it, it, no, it was that, that was a, gr a great thing. I remember. Uh, now we had uh, Greg McKee worked on that. Greg, yeah, Greg, Greg McKee was our that. main mech guy and did yeah. a, lot, a lot of the uh, lip syncing heads and things that we we built. Yeah, and uh, he uh, he helped build that. Yeah, and, I know uh, we did that together. Yeah, made all the sort of internal thing. It had, and that was the main thing is that it had to be ridiculously light, mm -hmm. but yeah. also. A not look like it was like, yeah, you know. Yeah, it was quite a challenging one, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but uh, that was good. But that, that web camera... <laughs> That that webcam was 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 hilarious. I mean, just some of the things we used to get up to with that, you know. And Greg actually, in particular, because they would have have them in certain areas and they'd be mm -hmm. pointed in a particular place. But it was like it was every few seconds. It right, would kind every of, twenty seconds or something. Uh, yeah, it would it would set. So Greg started this. Um, he started this little craze where he would put get like a really elaborate hat uh -huh. and he would kind of walk <laughs> through. Every, seconds and then like over the course of it he had this collection of like 20 different hats <laughs> where he'd just be kind of walking walking to and fro and frame and he'd just sort of appear like where <laughs> like all of these like crazy hats and things but that was quite funny i mean i know when i was doing chewy as well like they were like can we put the um mm. the camera on your desk and I, I think i had it on my desk for like two weeks or something mm, yeah. and and it but it could only be angled a certain way and yeah, it was like, you know, and then you'd hear people going, oh, there's someone saying something on the feed. And so it's like this sort of weird instant kind of reaction from right. fans talking about like, what's that? What's this? What's that? You know, we had to be so careful because we didn't want to give too much away. No, right? no. But the cameras, the way they were aimed... Uh, revealed <laughs> most of the middle section of the of the workshop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in order to go from one side of the workshop to another, if you had something you were carrying, like a, a piece of a Wookiee or something, <laughs> right, you had to go all the way around the outside edge. And it, it was the most elaborate system to get from A to B. Right. Everybody was kind of in on it. Everyone all, was enjoying it. That's funny. Because you know. I was watching, and if I saw anything that was new, I would have, I would have freaked out. So. Yeah, <laughs> the worst thing was every day that I came in, mm -hmm. uh, somebody had positioned my my body mm. in a different pose, <laughs> and and few of them were complimentary. <laughs> they... <laughs> that's funny. I mean, so you've technically played Obi Wan Kenobi. That's what I've learned today. This is great. Yes, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Well, I could talk about. All the different aliens, Tyon Medon and Shakti and Masameda. We could do that for another hour, but yep. I would love to talk about what y'all are doing now. And so uh, we've already talked to Don, and, and that was a great conversation as well. And he, he sent over a screener link of 
yeah, your newest project, and I mm-hmm. loved it. It reminded me kind of like you were saying of the Hammer Horror and, and a mm-hmm. lot of the, the old story and effects and makeup-driven horror films, and I'd love for you to kind of explain it to the audience and, and kind of what the plans are for it. It is. Well, I mean, it's the, 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 the film that we've just directed. <clears throat> is, it's called uh, Keep the Gaslight Burning, um, and uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a very old-school uh, kind of ghost story. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we really wanted to uh, to kind of make something that reminded us of of the kind of things that we grew up watching mm. and things, and make it almost like a segment of a of a, like an anthology, like a, it's like one segment of an anthology. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, we we wanted it to be a, have a sort of beginning, middle, and an end, and and uh, and uh, you know uh, be a, a proper film. So you're watching it because a lot of a lot of films that you watch, a lot of shorts. They're kind of an idea, you know, and uh, they're not really a full film. But we wanted this to be kind of complete when you watch yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we've been, you know, we've been writing for a while, and and we wanted to get into directing for a while. So it was, it was, you know, we wanted it to be like a bit of a calling card. We wanted it to be, you know, a subject that we loved, that we felt passionate about, that kind of reminded us of what it was like you know watching a scary movie as a kid so mm-hmm. it, it sort of it felt kind of perfect for that but it was really important to have a beginning a middle and an end and to have a, a, a story arc for all of the characters and and just tell a good clear a good clear story with that was fun mm-hmm. you know so it happened in a you know we we none of us were expecting that we were going to do this really uh, we all all of us individually had on our minds that we wanted to make a film but none of Mm. us had spoken about it to each other obviously Lou and I had spoken Mm. about it with each other Mm. but it came about I'm sure that uh, Don told this story that we uh we he came down to uh LA and uh, so we we met out we met and went out for a drink and we're all sitting there we had a nice meal and everything we're sitting there afterwards and we were all talking about things we were we suddenly all started saying at this almost at the same time that we wanted to direct and Mm. produce a movie and uh and Don said, well, you know, that's great, but, you know, we're going to need a script. And I said, actually, I've just written one. Mm. <laughs> and I had. I, I, we had this, this idea that we, we were going to adapt a, uh, a story by an author called uh, R. Chetwin Hayes, Ronald Chetwin Hayes. And um, when I was growing up, you, you almost couldn't pick up – I used to read a lot of ghost story books and, and horror books. But when I was growing up in the 70s, you almost – couldn't pick up a book that wouldn't have at least one R. Chetwin Hayes story in it if you were buying a, a ghost story book, you know. And uh, he was everywhere. He's just unbelievably prolific. And he had also written um, some movie uh, scripts as well. I mean, he did uh, From Beyond the Grave, um, which has Peter Cushing in it again. Great film. Uh, and, uh, and I actually have a, a prop from From Beyond the Grave. I actually... Mm-hmm. I have a pair of uh, Peter Cushing wears these big, these bushy kind of eyebrows, uh-huh. uh, part as the uh, the shopkeeper, and I have those. I have those things, wow. and uh, so the movies kind of that was the sort of I that was the sort of place. So we, I, the one thing that I liked about Chetwin Hayes is that um, he always had a really good sense of humour, and also his stories always tended to have. Um, they, a lot, not all of them, but a lot of them were contemporary, mm-hmm. and uh, and we thought, well, if you get try and do a, a low budget short movie, contemporary is a good thing, you know. So we we <laughs> looked through a bunch of Archer Winhay stories, you know. I've got a lot of good books here, you know. We looked through a lot, 
And then we found one, and we and it was the one that we loved is of course not contemporary. It's a period piece. <laughs> and were, it was the worst thing that we could possibly have chosen. <laughs> to, but it was a great story on so for so many yeah. reasons, mm-hmm. and uh, we really liked it straight away. And uh, we uh, we we. We thought, you know, if you're going to do a, 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 a ghost story, why don't we just for, let's just embrace uh-huh. all of those all of those tropes that we we love. You know, it's a it'll be a stormy night. You know, we'll have period costumes, we'll have all that kind of Victorian repression. Right? Yeah, which actually really does work for a, a you know, it's almost sort of a contrast in like what, what a low budget horror movie or scary movie should be. But the fact that you know, everything drops off into the darkness, you know, makes you, you know, makes the audience look and go, what is actually going on in there? Um, So that sort of works if you don't have a massive elaborate set. So you can kind of light it more artfully, especially because most of it's in gaslight. Mm -hmm. So in a way, what, at first we were like, oh, God, this is kind of a bit of a handicap because it's period and we need sets and costumes. I think it actually helped way more with the atmosphere you know than it probably would have if it was a modern yeah if it was a modern well the great thing is that lou is a costume designer so lou could do the costumes and uh we knew we were going to have a a ghost in it like you know i thought well i can do a ghost you know and uh and then it so we suggested it to don and don read the script and he loved it and uh so we're like okay well in six weeks time we're going to make a film that's what we're going to do And so then we thought, well, we have to cast this film. And uh, so um, my f- our first thoughts were that uh, it's a very f- female-centric uh, mm. story. Uh, the, the two the two leads are females. Mm. And uh, one of our uh, great close friends uh, and neighbor actually is uh, Marky Post. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who was on Night Court and things like that. And uh, we, you know, we, we always get together and have these great nights where we watch these um, period dramas and things that we like to watch. And uh, so we knew that even though she'd never done anything like this, we knew that she would love to do something mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did a, a very quick Photoshop design of what I thought she should look like. This kind of it's very strict kind of very buttoned Victorian, up Victorian buttoned up look. Yeah, yeah but but. It, I thought this is going to be like a. Um, this is where it could all end horribly, because <laughs> uh, I, you know, I wanted to have like a blind eye. I'm gonna. We want to. We're gonna have to age her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's gonna have kind of rotten teeth, and uh, and I know that Marky's ne- never looked like that in anything. Marky always <laughs> looks fantastic mm. in right. everything. And, uh, she's like the girl next door. You yeah, know. she's very glamorous. She's very beautiful, and yeah, it's 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 very different, a different kind of character to what she would normally play. But what was so great was that when we kind of said, "Look, you know, would you be up for it?" and then Dave showed her the design, she was like, "Oh my god, I would love to do this. It would be so much fun," and she just went, you know. F- full full Mrs. Maxwell with the character. She loved it. She loved wearing the makeup and um, she loved wearing the costume and she just said it just really, it really, really helped her with her character, mm-hmm. um, which which was just, which was wonderful. Yeah. Really. And the other thing is that her daughter is also an actress and so we thought, well, we can have her daughter be uh, the other yeah, character, Maya, you know. And uh, so, uh, yeah, she thought it was a great idea. We talked to her daughter, Kate, and uh, Kate joined in. And then we thought, okay, now we need a ghost. <laughs> and, uh, 
So uh, I thought, well, who would be great in makeup? <laughs> so I, I thought, well, I'll just ask Rick, you know, I'll ask Rick Baker and see if he wants to do it. And uh, so I asked Rick and Rick said, absolutely, mm. straight away. Uh, and uh, I said, do you want to do your own makeup? He said, no, you do it. So, okay, I'll do your makeup. And we knew that Rick was going to be fantastic as the as the ghost. But uh, about halfway through, uh, we were driving back. We just had a big production meeting. And Lou and I were driving back in the car. And I said, you know, we need to see him alive as well. We don't yeah. really just want him to be the ghost. I think we need to see him yeah. alive, even though that's not was not in the original novel. Mm. And it's not in the not in the wasn't in our script because of that. So we wrote a scene where Rick would be alive, and and that terrified Rick more, more than anything. More than anything. Yeah. Yeah. It just being himself and just without yeah. any makeup or anything right. else, right. you know. But actually, that ended up. I mean, that was on like a, we we kind of came up with that scene in a like a six hour drive from Petaluma to to Los Angeles, and actually, it's one of my favorite scenes in in the movie is mm -hmm. the flashback. Rick's great, and he's fantastic in it and what it what it did it kind of gave the whole film another dimension because it it saw you know how mrs maxwell became the character that she is right. that you see throughout the rest of the movie and um yeah it kind of it just changed everything and made it very different to to the original chetwin hayes story but i mean i mean it it was such a good experience and being able to just sort of go like i'm gonna ask all my friends to come <laughs> <laughs> to come and hang out and let's all just make a movie because it didn't you know it didn't feel like work and we did we pulled in a lot of favors and a lot of people were very generous with their with their time and their talent and um we were very lucky to be able to to have that but it, it did something come really great came out of it you know yeah. it wound uh, up being this it actually wound up being like uh this sort of star wars alumni you know production mm -hmm. in a way because uh, when we got to do the post, we needed a little, not a lot, but we needed a little bit of CG work to be done and uh, visual effects stuff. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, we, we, we were friends with um, Phil Tippett, mm, who's, right. I, I think, the greatest, mm. uh, uh, you know, one of the greatest artists working in that field in the world. Right. And, uh, and we, I thought, well, you know, it worked with Rick. Well, let's see, we'll ring up Phil and see if he wants to do this for not much, you know, you know, not much reward <laughs> on his part. And we so we called up Phil, and Phil was like, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> so he joined in too. So uh, all of a sudden, with this tiny little amateur film, really, uh, um, had, uh, you know, it had, uh, well, we worked it out, actually. We were standing on set one day, and we went, you know, there's like 10, 10, 10 Oscars on this film. Wow. <laughs> So, because Rick has seven, I've got one. Phil Tippett has two of these. Three or something. Yeah, yeah or three. That's or, crazy. So it yeah. was, um, yeah, it was uh, going. This is ridiculous. <laughs> that's um, funny. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a terrific experience. And so we've now it's finished, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, we're really proud of it. Uh, and it has, you know, it's uh, it was worth all the effort. We had to film it in two days, mm -hmm. uh, which is incredibly short amount of time. Mm. Anyway, but it actually, when you consider that we had all the makeup and costumes to deal with, and we had to have Rick as the ghost, and we also have to have Rick when he was younger, and, and uh, there was you know, a lot. There was a Marky, lot to do. We, we have to de-age her and age her as well, and uh, so we had all of this stuff, and uh, that's a lot of stuff to try and organise. 
and we we figured that if you know if we couldn't do it, then nobody could. Right. And, uh, and now it's done, and so now we're it's uh, we're, we've started to enter into um, uh, lots of different uh, festivals. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. We're actually yeah. in the the Berlin Short Film Festival. We've been accepted to. That's so, exciting. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So hopefully we'll find out about did, some more at the end of the year. You you mentioned, I mean, not to put the cart before the horse, you did mention kind of when you first started talking, like you wanted it to kind of be an anthology kind of feel. So does that mean that, you know, after all these award season is over, do you think there might be, um, maybe not a, I mean, obviously not a sequel, but but something else that you guys could be working we, on? We've got a few ideas. We're going to be probably working on another, another short. I mean, we, you know, after doing it, you know, we just became so addicted and, and mm-hmm. you kind of live and breathe it for so long, you know, and you go through kind of every stage of making the film and uh, and then you finish and you're like, right, okay, I need to do it again now, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's funny considering it's the, it's the first thing we've done as directors, mm-hmm. um, it, it felt very natural and very comfortable. I think it's after working in the industry for so long and, you know, understanding everybody else's roles within you know within the industry and every you know all of the the heads of department in each you know in each area i think it makes it a lot easier and makes you understand the storytelling and how how you work with a team yeah a lot more than if you kind of never done it before um and we couldn't help as we even as we were writing it and as we were filming it we we couldn't help thinking about those characters and thinking, I wonder what happened before this, and, mm-hmm. and I wonder what happened yeah. after, what would happen after this. Yeah, and uh, and filling out uh, parts of the the story which are not in the book, mm-hmm. uh, were in our minds, yeah. you know. And so we there is there is a, a larger version we reckon. Yeah, we uh, want to take it further. Yeah. definitely. and but there's also we have some other uh, film projects as well that we we would like to do. We have some other. Uh, short films, but also we have some much longer scripts that uh, mm. proper, you know, uh, features, proper yeah. features that we would like to do that uh, we've worked on, we've written scripts for, and we have uh, lined up. Um, but of course, the, when, the first thing is to just get it in front of some audiences right. and reactions. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, definitely keep it up because. I, I, t- I told Don, but I, I mean, you like you mentioned, it was just a nice return to form and a nice, it felt like an, an older film, but also, you know, a little bit modern, a little bit, you know, had learned from the predecessors. And so, you know, the more of that, the better. With that, uh, Dave and Lou, thank you so much for, for taking the time. This was just a huge treat, especially, you know, as a huge fan of Revenge of the Sith and especially of, of the creature designs and of, of all that work that you put into it. So I really appreciate it you taking the time. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And that will do it for this episode of Talking Bay 94. Again, I just want to thank the Elsies for their time, as well as the awesome stories about episode three. For more information about their latest project, Keep the Gaslight Burning, make sure to go to keepthegaslightburning.com. Also, make sure to visit the LC's website, igorstudios.com, for some great gallery photos of their incredible makeup work. This Sunday, we'll have a special short bonus episode, featuring an interview with one of my favorite characters of all the original Star Wars films. So stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the force be with you.